Welcome to the JMD podcast with me, James Nurse, a general pediatrician and the social media editor at the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease. In fortnightly episodes, I bring you author interviews discussing recent publications from the journal, helping you to get your fix on metabolic medicine whilst you drive to work, go for a walk, or even just relax at home. I've been making these for the last two years. There's plenty of content to listen to, so please find us wherever you listen to podcasts. But before that, enjoy this latest episode on a novel small molecule therapy in propionic acidemia. Hello there. So we've had a few podcasts recently looking at the organic acidemias, although we have had a tendency to talk more about methylmalonic acidemia. So it's a great pleasure to turn our attentions to PA when this recent paper came through on the relief of CoA sequestration and restoration of mitochondrial function in a mouse model of propionic acidemia done by the team in the Department of Infectious Diseases at St. Jude's Hospital. And I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Suzanne Jakowski to discuss this work. Suzanne, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, James. I'm very happy to speak with you. Fabulous. So as I mentioned, we've just recently done a podcast talking about gene therapies in methylmalonic acidemia. This is another organic acidemia. How does propionic acidemia differ? Well, both propionic and methylmalonic acidemia belong to this heterogeneous group of inborn areas of metabolism, as you know, and they're characterized by elevated organic acids in the bodily fluids. But propionic and methylmalonic acidemia are actually arise from different genetic defects in the same metabolic pathway. So they're actually very closely related. And in both cases, the patients can't use about four amino acids commonly found in all proteins. So they have to limit their protein intake. And there are a few other metabolites that patients in both categories have trouble processing, such as odd chain fatty acids and cholesterol. Both genetic defects actually cause a traffic jam in the metabolic pathway and the biochemical intermediates build up and are released into the circulation and then the urine. You make it sound very simple. I mean, something that both these conditions have in common is that there's no approved therapies for treatment. Treatment is dietetic at the moment. That's right. That's right. There's no approved therapies except for carboglue, which is approved to treat high circulating ammonia, but that doesn't relieve all of the problems. Now, liver transplantation is used to manage both diseases, and this approach is aimed at partial correction of the metabolic imbalance. But the transplanted patients are still subject to periodic metabolic crises and complications with other organs, including the brain and the heart in the longer term. Gene and mRNA therapies are under investigation in clinical trials, but again, these would be targeted to a specific organ. When I spoke with Chuck Venditti, it was that acknowledgement that liver transplant, whilst it can significantly ameliorate the course of the disease, you are just swapping one disease for another. And as you say, it doesn't completely treat the phenotype anyway. So this is obviously why your work is so important. It's looking at potential therapies in propionic acidemia. And this comes about due to insights from a mouse model and observations about, and I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure, uh, pantothenate. Uh, pantothenate kinases or PANCs. Um, could you explain the background to this in a, in a way that I might understand? Yes, yes. Okay. So let me first start with coenzyme A, or I'll call it CoA for short. And that's a necessary cofactor that carries the propionic acid through this metabolic pathway. 
And in propionic acidemia, there's an accumulation of propionyl CoA to very, very high levels due to the restriction of the flow through the metabolic pathway. And it's these high levels of propionyl CoA that actually cause the biochemical problem in many cases. So we used an established transgenic mouse model for propionic acidemia, and we measured very high levels of propionyl-CoA in the liver and high levels of propionyl-carnitine in the plasma and urine, and that's to be expected. Those are the normal indicators of the acidemia. But we also found when we measured the total amount of CoA, and in particular the acetyl-CoA levels, that those were greatly reduced. Now, the PANCs, as you call them, are the first enzymes in coenzyme A biosynthesis, and they regulate the amount of CoA that a cell makes. And propionyl-CoA actually feedback inhibits the PANCs and shuts down the synthesis of more CoA, so it really limits the activity of the pathway. And in addition, when you have this high buildup of propionyl-CoA, the CoA doesn't recirculate and it sucks up all the available free CoA. And both of these factors limit the supply of CoA. And there are many other metabolic pathways that are dependent on CoA. So these cannot function very well or efficiently. And there's a cascade of downstream metabolic problems. And this begins leading to a major imbalance, metabolic crises when it gets really bad, and potentially a lethal shutdown. And in this paper, in addition to realizing the big impact on CoA, we found that the Krebs cycle for intermediary metabolism and energy production was the proximal target for the shutdown when the CoA supply becomes limiting. And the unused biochemical intermediates from the Krebs cycle are released into the plasma and pour out into the urine. So this trapping of CoA is not just the limitation, but also the trapping of CoA or sequestration has been a long-standing hypothesis in the medical community. And it was proposed to explain the high plasma levels of the organic acids and the carnitines in the past. But until now, this hypothesis has never been tested. Okay. And I guess that brings us to BPP671. Right. Presumably the 671st iteration. I don't know. <laughs> how, how does that fit in? Well, uh, BBP671 is an investigational small molecule that can activate the pancase by binding to the protein, changing its molecular shape, and counteracting the feedback inhibition by propionyl-CoA or other acyl-CoAs, but primarily propionyl-CoA in the case of this acidemia. And as a result, when we administer BBP671 to mice, it raises the CoA levels in all the organs, not only in liver, but also in several other organs, including the brain. So as we've mentioned, propionic acidemia is a systemic disease, and we aim to develop an oral therapy with good bioavailability and blood-brain barrier penetration. Patients may be treated long-term throughout their lives, and we wanted a good blood-brain barrier penetrant molecule to address the neurological problems that acidemia patients develop. And you've been looking at it in your mouse model, and that's what the paper reports on. 
So is that what you found? Yes. In fact, the propionic acidemia mouse model that we used has been used by several groups to study the pathophysiology of the disease. And it has the characteristic elevation in plasma of the propionyl carnitine and methyl citrate that are biomarkers. We found that both the CoA levels and acetyl-CoA levels were reduced in the liver and in other tissues in the untreated mice. And there was a very large increase in the propionyl CoA. The daily administration of BBP 671 raised the CoA levels, and we formulated the compound in the chow because daily administration actually was needed to maintain the CoA levels in these mice. The survival of the animals also increased substantially when they were treated on BBP 671. And we were really pleased about that. It actually normalized the lifespan of the animals. And is that because it prevents uh, hyperammonemic decompensation or what is the, the life limiting factor in the mouse model? Well, it was the Krebs cycle intermediates that gave us the key. The uh, intermediates became reduced with the treatment as well. And that told us that the Krebs cycle was operating better. And so this is central to all of mitochondrial metabolism and energy production. And that was the, I believe, the life-saving factor, as you put it. And that gave us the insight that the CoA sequestration may be a real determining factor in the disease. And you've, you've talked a couple of times about these different metabolites that you were seeing within both the model and I think in your, in your wider studies around propionic acidemia. And you're using those in this case to measure treatment efficacy. But is there a role for monitoring these in human disease or is that a bit OTT? Well, not yet, but there really aren't any biomarkers or surrogate endpoints to monitor disease progression now in the organic acidemias beyond diagnosis. And we think that monitoring the Krebs intermediates particularly malate and alpha-ketoglutarate in the plasma and particularly in the urine where it all accumulates, it would be really helpful to be used in addition to the acyl carnitines to evaluate the degree of the imbalance during disease progression and during treatment. So you've got your new metabolites, which could be a helpful thing for monitoring and as biomarkers. Yes. You've also got a treatment that's shown to be effective in the mouse model. So often we hear about progress in animal models, and that's it. Where's this going next? Well, uh, there's a lot of potential for BBP671 and manipulating the CoA levels. It's a possible therapeutic for other diseases that are associated with CoA deficiency or CoA sequestration, either systemic or localized. And this includes the uh, genetic fatty acid oxidation disorders as an example. But this has not been yet tested experimentally, let's say in an animal model. This is a very new idea. This is the first time we have a tool to actually test the hypothesis. And BBP-671 was designed to cross the blood-brain barrier. And uh, there's a pediatric neurodegenerative disease localized to the central nervous system that may benefit from this treatment. This rare disease is called panathenate kinase-associated neurodegeneration. It's an ultra-rare disease. And a trial for those patients is being designed by CoA Therapeutics and is scheduled for 2024. But you've already had phase one studies in adults, haven't you? Yes. And the phase one studies have gone very well. And that's why we're, we're looking to move on to phase two. And that's in this rare disease that I'm, I don't even dare try to repeat the name of. But It's called PECAN for short. 
P-K-A-N. Well, I like I like anything that's being done for short. Is there any um, progress with human studies in propionic acidemia? Actually, the second part of the phase one study is being done with propionic acidemia patients, and we're waiting for the results on that right now. That's very exciting. Well, maybe I can tempt you back when we've got some uh, some results to talk about. That'd be great. Well, I'm exceptionally grateful you've managed to make the whole thing understandable, even to my simple brain. I'm very grateful for your time today. If people who've been listening would like to read your paper, they can click the link in the podcast description, or they can go to the journal website and search for relief of CoA sequestration in propionic acidemia. Suzanne, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you so much for the opportunity to tell you about this. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. 